Good morning, church. As we continue on in our series, The Church as Diaspora, we've been looking at how the church is to move during times of great disruption and dispersion. And starting last week and moving forward into the month of November, we're going to be focusing on what happened, what spiritual dynamics were in play in the book of Acts when the church was dispersed and disrupted uh, from Acts chapter 8 to Acts chapter 20 in the New Testament. And as she moved her ministry to share the gospel beyond Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it's very important during this time because, as you guys know, uh, we are going to be restarting up our in-person Sunday morning gatherings in about two weeks here at uh, downtown LA, Little Tokyo area, in the GEMS building parking lot. So we're very excited about that. This is a perfect time to learn from the first century church about what God did uh, when they took the mission to the city and the spiritual dynamics in play. Last week, we heard from Pastor Mike as he spoke about uh, what happened as the church moved into the Judean and Samaria regions. And he said that we are to stay on mission amidst the chaos and to look for the Holy Spirit moments of uh, people that he brings across our path for us to reach. And this morning, we're going to look at a theology of movement from Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 10. Uh, what is it that we can learn about how God moves us into the world, moves us together, and how do we understand the spiritual dynamics behind that? We live in a world of rapid and haphazard and uh, accelerating movement all around us. We see the accelerated adoption of technology in terms of our work, our connection with people, uh, our cashless society. We live in a world of movement, of not just moving forward, but moving in polar opposite, polarizing directions in terms of our uh, politics, in terms of our racial relationships, in terms of the disparity between rich and poor. We live in a world of movement that's going up and down in terms of the volatility of the stock market, the closing of the economy, the reopening of the economy. And uh, in our own personal lives, in the life of our, lives of our families, we are, it seems like we're just having to make constant adjustments in this world that's rapidly, haphazardly moving all around us. And it's not just the world that's moving around us. People's spirituality during this time is also moving in opposite directions at the same time. What has happened in this cultural reset and restart is that people's spirituality has essentially reset and is prepared to restart now. And it's moving into the future in two opposite directions simultaneously. One direction we're going to see in the days ahead is people are accelerating their movement. Culture is accelerating their movement towards the post-Christian age. This is a time when people look beyond the church, beyond the Christian faith, and say, we've tried that, we've done that, uh, that's not for us, we're going to reject that, but we still see ourselves as spiritual and good. It's just beyond the Christian faith. And you're going to see that in culture, this acceleration towards the post-Christian age, unfortunately. But then there's this also this other dynamic that's happening at the same time where in this cultural reset and restart, people are going to be more open simultaneously to the gospel. God is using this time to open up the door for a potential revival for the church to reach people that she has not been able to reach in the past, which 
future is going to be part of the movement of the church. And so I think it's very important that this morning we look at a theology of movement from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, as Paul and his co-laborers, uh, along with uh, Timothy and Silas and Luke, they were on the road to Macedonia. And we're going to see in our passage about what do we learn about the spiritual dynamics of movement amidst this time. Uh, in the Christian faith, we often talk about people moving towards a sound doctrinal theology. And that is critical, that is foundational to the Christian experience, to salvation and sanctification, that we move towards theology. But we don't often talk about the flip side of that same coin. While it's important for us to move towards theology, it is also important for us to have a theology of movement. And when we have a, 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 a movement towards theology, that is about beliefs. When we have a theology of movement, that is how we are to understand the spiritual dynamics of what it means to move with God amidst that sound theological beliefs that we have in our faith. When we say a theology of movement, we are not talking about motion. Uh, there's a lot of uh, Christian believers that are just in motion. They're kind of running all around in circles in chaotic directions, and they're not really going anywhere spiritually. We're not talking about motion. We're also not talking about momentum. Uh, you know, there's there's these trends in Christianity, trends in the church, you know, um, whether it's a, a movement in the worship movement or it's a movement in terms of how to do church. And there's this kind of momentum to the church, to the Christian faith that everyone hops onto and then get, they get onto the next trend that has momentum. We're not talking about momentum. And we're also not talking about trying to start a movement. Um, there's a lot of movements that the church tries to start in terms of social causes. A theology of movement is different. It is summarized in what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, where he said, If we live by the Spirit, let us what? Keep in step with the Spirit. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at spiritual movement through the, our passage in the book of Acts. Uh, when you look in the Old Testament, spiritual movement was really the core experience of what it meant to relate to God. Um, when God formed his people and brought them out of Egypt and out of the Exodus into the promised land, um, as they wandered throughout the wilderness those 40 or so years, they moved with the cloud during the day and the fire by night. In the Old Testament, God's people moved with him. In the New Testament, Jesus' primary call to discipleship was what? Follow me. It was a, a discipleship of movement. You cannot be saved in the Christian faith. You cannot be sanctified in the Christian faith without moving from the old person that you used to be to the new person you are in Christ. You cannot be saved without moving from one kingdom, the kingdom of Satan, to the kingdom of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church in the book of Acts was based around movement. Jesus said in, in Acts chapter 1 that you will be my witnesses beyond Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, which was the surrounding regions. And then he said to the ends of the earth that 
normative to the Christian faith is the experience of spiritual movement. The Apostle Paul, uh, really the one uh, non-Jesus figure in the New Testament that I've modeled my ministry after, uh, really defined discipleship through a theology of movement. He would call people to follow him, as he said, follow me as I follow Christ. He said that to the uh, the church at Corinth, to the church at Philippi, to the church at Thessalonica, where he would say, follow me as I follow Christ, or follow others who are imitating my example to you in Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at a theology of movement from Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 10. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to follow along with me on Paul's second missionary journey with Silas and Timothy and Luke. Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Background to what is happening. Paul is on his second missionary journey, from, uh, which will be recounted in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, 17, and 18. Uh, he is with Timothy and Silas at this point. Luke joins them later on in this passage. And they are going through the area of Syria and then later on into Turkey, primarily to strengthen the churches that Paul had planted and ministered to in his first missionary journey in chapter 13 and chapter 14 uh, and leading up to this point. And, the, and Paul and his companions, they're, they're headed into this area of Turkey that is west. And I think originally he probably had the idea of going into the western region, which is the same area of churches that the Apostle John wrote to in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. These are the seven churches of the book of Revelation of, of Ephesus and Smyrna and Philadelphia. And the other churches there. It's also the same region of churches that the Apostle Peter wrote to in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. But the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God, they blocked him and his companions. So they actually moved north. And as they moved north, they were blocked again. I think they probably might have made their way up eventually to Bulgaria from Turkey. But they were blocked. And so they ended up going south to a port city called Troas. And... They had a vision uh, from a man uh, that's just called a man of Macedonia. We don't know who this man was. He was an actual man of Macedonia, or maybe he was an angel. It's not really clear. And Paul has this vision, and he shares it with his co-laborers, and they conclude that God wanted them to share the gospel, uh, to take a boat from Troas, Troas across the Aegean Sea westward, and to land in Macedonia. That's modern-day Greece. And that's where these cities, these great cities of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and later on Athens um, and Corinth are located. And Paul would open up the door. Uh, God would open up the door through Paul's ministry to take the gospel into Europe through that. And this was an experience where, um, you know, if anyone knew the will of God outside of Jesus, you'd think it would have been Paul. 
You know, I mean, he met Jesus directly on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, uh, and he heard the audible voice, and so he had this direct encounter with the Lord. And so you think Paul would know, have known the exact will of God, and yet what we discover in this passage is that Paul just moved forward, and he was stopped, and he was redirected. In fact, the whole trinity in this passage gets involved, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, and God, to stop Paul and his co-laborers and sequentially redirect them to the place that they needed to be in their ministry and in their mission. And Paul had experience with moving forward, being stopped, and being redirected to the place that God wanted him to be. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at three spiritual dynamics of a theology of movement that we can learn uh, from Paul and his co-laborers' experience in this passage. So let's go to the first, which is the spiritual dynamic of moving forward. Moving forward in your Christian faith. It says in verse 6 that they went They went through uh, Phrygia and Galatia. Verse 7, they uh, were trying to come up to Mysia. Verse 8, they went to Troas. And no, verse 10, they were to go into Macedonia. They went, they came up, they went, they were to go into. There was a sense of movement, a forward movement. They just committed to saying, we're going to obey God, and we're going to try and reach people. We're going to try and take the gospel to people that don't know Christ, and because we're going to be obedient to God and care about people and their future and their salvation. And Paul and his co-laborers made a commitment to just move forward. And I think God just redirected them in that whole process. See, I think sometimes we in the church, we we either make the decision consciously or unconsciously to emulate areas of Paul's ministry that are really not supposed to be emulated. They were kind of unique to Paul's experience in the book of Acts. You know, sometimes I think we as Christians, we look... Uh, when, when we want to move forward with God and doing God's work and doing God's mission, we find ourselves uh, wanting to kind of have a sign from God, kind of like Paul meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And we say, God, if you would just give me this sign, you know, hear your voice like Paul did in Acts 9, then I would move forward. Just give me the miracle, God. Give me the sign and I will do that. But that's not really um, a good way of living the Christian faith. Because that was a unique experience to Paul in that moment. You don't want to make that a principle for your Christian faith. And so sometimes I think we look for a divine sign in order to move forward. And that's not really emulating the right thing from the Apostle Paul's journey. Or other times we just wait. And we just say, God, I'm just going to sit here until you actually move me. You know, when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, he didn't go immediately start ministering and planting churches. It says in Galatians chapter 1 that he actually went down, he made his way down to Arabia, the area of Arabia, where he spent three years. And the assumption is during those three years, he was studying, he was being probably being ministered directly to by the Lord Jesus Christ in preparation for his ministry. But sometimes I think, you know, uh, we can see Paul waiting for three years after his conversion as he's kind of uh, preparing himself and learning and growing. And we say, well, that's kind of me. I'll just wait for year after year after year, kind of like what Paul did for those three years in Arabia. 
And then uh, I'll just wait for God to summon me. But that was a unique circumstance for Paul in waiting for long periods of time before you engage in the work and mission of God, before you start to move forward in what God wants you to do, is not really the way to live the Christian faith. Or sometimes I think um, maybe we don't want to look for a divine sign or we just wait, but we just want to um, see the future revealed to us. In the book of Acts, there's a, a, a man who comes to Paul and he uh, takes Paul's belt and he ties it around himself and he says, Paul, what's going to happen to you if you go to Jerusalem is they're going to bind you and you're going to suffer. And this was a vision of Paul's future. And Paul just continued to move on to Jerusalem, as we know in the book of Acts. But I think sometimes we want that. We want someone to come into our life, like this man Agabus, the prophet who came to Paul. And we want someone to say, hey, here's the future. Here's what's going to happen. And so you have that confidence now to now move forward because I'm giving it to you. But that doesn't really, that's not really the way it works in the Christian faith, is it? Even though it worked for Paul. It is more important when we think about a theology of movement to simply just make the commitment to say, with the knowledge I have, with the opportunity that God puts before me, I'm just going to move forward. I'm going to make the decision to move forward in obedience to him. I'm going to move forward in the mission that he has given me to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm going to do that because I'm compelled, because I care about God and people. And I'm not even ready for this. And as you do that, God can work through that. Uh, whenever I meet people who uh, have a forward movement in their spiritual life, not in terms of accumulating wealth um, or in terms of living life to the fullest or in, in terms of accomplishing a social cause that has no connection to a verbal testimony to the gospel. But whenever I meet people who have actually a forward movement, not in those ways, but in terms of wanting to make disciples of Jesus Christ, wanting to, uh, and I get a sense that their heart is for God and their heart is for people. Man, I am just uh, so encouraged because I see a forward movement to their life. And I realize that these are the type of people I want to be around. They're not just simply waiting. They're not looking for a divine sign before they move forward. They're not looking for someone to reveal the future to them. But they're saying, you know, with what I've got, what I know, um, I know that I need to make the decision to simply move forward with God's mission for my life. And he's going to re redirect things in the way he wants. I'm going to trust that, but that's part of the adventure of the Christian faith. Um, recently, I came across a missionary who is uh, moving from California to, um, uh, uh, to England. And he's going to uh, join another team of missionaries out there uh, to reach uh, South Asians, uh, for primarily uh, from an area of Little India in, uh, in uh, part of England. And uh, our church is right now praying about and discussing whether we're going to support this missionary. Um, by the way, it's exciting because in November, for the very first time, our church is going to have um, a Global Missions Sunday, where we're going to have um, different speakers with uh, who have either been on missions um, or who are going to share with us about certain missions in the world. Right now, we're looking at Japan, North Africa. Uh, we're probably going to invite this ministry couple that's going to start up a new church in, uh, in England to come share. Uh, we might have someone come speak on the persecuted church. And uh, I think that's very exciting because all we see ourselves in this church is primarily having a mission in the city areas that we are around, uh, 
Jesus said to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so that's going to be very exciting to us. But I, I think it's very exciting when you meet people who um, are on mission with God. There's a forward spiritual momentum through their life. And they don't have to have had it all figured out before they move. See, there are far too many Christians that are not moving forward. They are stuck. They are stubborn. And they are stopped in their Christian faith. Uh, the hardest person for God to move is not the person that has already made the decision to move forward towards God and towards people in their life, even though they haven't have it all figured out. Now, the hardest person for God to move is the person who is not moving at all. The first spiritual dynamic is the commitment to move forward. The second spiritual dynamic we want to look at this morning is that as you move forward, God often stops you and he redirects you in the direction he wants you to go. In our passage, verse 6, Luke writes that um, Paul and Silas and Timothy, this is before Luke joined them, uh, that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit from going in one direction. In verse 7, it says that they were not allowed to go in another direction. The Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go in another direction. And Paul had experience of being stopped and being redirected in another direction. When he was converted on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, um, he, uh, and, and on that road, the Damascus road, he was uh, stopped by the Lord. And the Lord said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting my people? And uh, Paul gave his life to Christ. And he was stopped from persecuting the church and redirected towards Christ and the church. And I, I think we can learn something from this. As Paul and Silas and Timothy and, and Luke as well, as they got stopped and redirected and eventually made themselves Way, their way to Macedonia, to modern-day Greece. We can learn from that. See, God is patient with you when you're going the wrong direction. And there are times when God will just be patient with our sin, patient with our foolishness, patient with our disobedience. But then there is this other side of God where he will just step in and stop us and start to redirect our life in his direction. Sometimes uh, God will allow a situation to change in your life, to stop you and redirect you. Sometimes God will bring people into your life to stop you and to redirect you. Sometimes God will allow certain plans in our life to be stopped so that we may be redirected. When you look at the Apostle Paul, and what he wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians, this is one of the churches that uh, Paul ministered to for quite some time during his um, uh, missionary journeys. And in the book of 2 Corinthians, there are many times, I think, that, um, that Paul talks about that God actually intervenes into our life. We can stop our lives and redirect our lives. And there are certain things that God can do in order to do that. Let me just list a few of the things that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians. Uh, One way that God can stop where you're going 
and redirect you is by bringing some kind of emergency work that he wants done into your life. Some, in some kind of dramatic way, God puts something before you that requires your attention because the urgency, uh, the, the, uh, the, the nature, the gravity of the situation demands your attention. Uh, Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, there's a famine going on. I'm, I'm coming to you in part to collect money so that I can receive it to take it back to the uh, poor believers that were in Jerusalem. And Paul was, one of the reasons why Paul was compelled to plant churches and to minister to the churches was not just to see new people wander to Christ, not to see, just to see them built up in the faith, but also so that they could be generous in giving money back to the uh, poor believers back in Jerusalem. And so sometimes God, he brings an emergency work into your life that redirects the direction of your life and just gives you fuel to move in his direction. A second example from 2 Corinthians is that there are times when there will uh, God will allow a threat into your life, something that's threatening to you, that will grab your attention, that will be alarming, that will say, you know, I got to stop what I was doing over here, stop these these uh, this foolishness or stop these side things because God has allowed a threat into my life that demands my attention. Uh, Paul talked about false teachers that were uh, coming to the church at Corinth, and he was warning them. And part of why Paul was um, had such urgency there was because he understood the threat of false teachers. What threat has come into your life that God is using to stop your direction of your life and redirect it towards him and the people around you that God wants you to reach out to? A third example is that we might be caught in some kind of or um, being tempted with some kind of impurity, some kind of unholiness, some kind of unrighteousness in our own life. And so God stops things, and he starts to redirect us. Uh, Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians how um, he saw a vision of heaven, and he was tempted to boast about it, that God has showed me this, this is beautiful, and look how special I am. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that to keep him from boasting from the vision that God, uh, God had given to Paul of heaven, that uh, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what that was, but we know from Paul's description it's something that was painful to him, that caused him suffering. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he asked three times for the Lord to take it away from him, but the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul um, took encouragement and, and took glory in that. But sometimes there is a direction for our life that we are either in or could fall into of impurity, unrighteousness, and unholiness, where God says, I'm going to help you by stopping you and redirecting you to get you out of that situation. Um, a fourth example of how God can stop us and redirect us is just to allow suffering into our lives. And that suffering may be uh, what we have reaped, what we have sown. It might be suffering that was thrust upon us by other people. It might be a circumstance or an event that happened to us that we really had no control over. But nobody, no Christian, escapes suffering. In fact, what we discover is that uh, when you look all throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, the Old Testament prophets, Job, Habakkuk, 
When you look at the New Testament, uh, certainly the ministry of Jesus going to the cross and being crucified, or the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter, they all talk about suffering in terms of a sanctifying uh, experience. And when Paul uh, wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians, he talked about all the afflictions, all the sufferings, all the persecutions that he had gone through. But then he said this, he says, as my mortal body is experiencing death, um, the life of Christ is being manifest in my life. And so he took great encouragement from that. And so sometimes God will allow that into your life, suffering to stop you, to redirect you towards himself and towards others. And fifth and finally, an example of how God stops and redirects us is sometimes he just rearranges your relationships. He just changes the relationships around you. And maybe that's your choice. Um, you need to move on to new, re new relationships that are healthier, that are better, that will help you grow and, and help you move forward. Or other times it's uh, other people just change those relationships for us. Maybe it's a circumstance uh, where you, the circumstances have changed in your life, where you have to find new relationships, whatever that might be. There are times when God stops us, stops the relationships that we are spending so much time in and redirects us to new relationships. We have seen several people um, start to join our church, uh, Matthew, Jessica, Sonny, and others. And maybe this is God's way of saying, um, I'm going to kind of start to redirect you in a direction that I want to move you towards. Third and finally, a, a, a spiritual dynamic of a theology of movement this morning is the spiritual dynamic of urgency. Of urgency in the ministry of Paul and his co-laborers and urgency in our own Christian walks. In our passage, again, in verse 9, it says that uh, Paul and his co-laborers were being urged by a man of Macedonia. He was urging them to come to Macedonia to minister there. In verse 10, it says, that um, Luke writes that they immediately, they immediately went to Macedonia. They took a boat from Troas across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia um, because they had discerned that God had called them to minister there. There is an urgency to Paul's ministry. See, moving with God is not just about direction. It's about pace. You may know the direction that God wants you to go, and maybe he says to stop you and redirect you, uh, but that's really not enough. You need to go at the pace in which God wants you to go at. And my experience has been uh, most Christians are not moving too fast for God. They're not moving just in the right direction of God and moving too fast for where God wants them to be. Most Christians uh, if they're even moving in the direction that God wants them to move in, they're moving what? Too slow. A theology of movement is not just about the direction you're headed towards God and others. It's also about the pace in which you're moving. Too fast, too slow at the pace in which God wants. That's why Paul said, if we live by the Spirit, let us what? Keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 again. I think the missing, one of the missing conversations in the Christian faith, in terms of Christian maturity, Christian discipleship, is the topic of urgency. 
Paul and Luke and Timothy and Silas, it says they went immediately. Verse 10, again, when God had called them to Macedonia, to the men of Macedonia. And I, I think we don't emphasize uh, urgency enough. I, I think one of the best definitions of Christian maturity I ever heard was not primarily just how much theological knowledge do you have. It wasn't primarily how much um, ministry experience you have in the church. It wasn't about do you have a Bible or seminary degree. It wasn't about how much influence you have in the church or how much success you've had in Christian ministry or how many people you want to Christ or um, how long you pray every day or how much you read the Bible or how much you give in church or how much time that you spend serving in church. I mean, all of those things are critical to Christian faith and Christian maturity. But Christian maturity, I think, is better defined as the gap time between when God speaks a word into your life through his word and how long it takes you to obey. Christian maturity is about not just knowing what you are supposed to know. It's not just being a hearer of the word. It's about being a doer of the word. But that gap time between being a hearer of the word and being a doer of the word is urgency. And I think that urgency is, the, is a great definition often for Christian maturity. Because if you have a wide gap time between when God speaks into your life through the scriptures and how long it takes you to obey, and it takes a long, long time, I don't see how we can call that a spiritually mature individual. See, what you discover in the life of Jesus and in this passage from, uh, from Paul and his missionary team is that they went immediately when God called them. Jesus did the work of God immediately when he began his public ministry. And I wonder how much stronger the Christian faith would be, how much uh, more mature we would have uh, our, be as Christians if we just said, you know what, uh, I'm going to adopt an urgency mindset. I'm going to adopt an immediacy, immediately mindset that when God speaks to me, I'm going to close the gap time between when he speaks and when I obey. I would rather have and do ministry with a group of people and a church. I'd rather have a group of people that maybe didn't have a lot of church background or theological knowledge. Um, you know, they placed their saving faith in Jesus Christ, and uh, but they were teachable and they had urgency. They had an urgency to learn and an urgency to apply what they were learning and an urgency to, uh, to move with God in the mission of God. I'd rather have a, a church full of people with urgency, even if they didn't have a lot of experience with the Christian faith of the church, rather than a church full of people, of Bible scholars, of people who have uh, decades of ministry experience, but they lack the urgency. They lack the immediacy of the Christian faith to do what God wants to be done. Where are you on that? Have you lost the urgency in your Christian faith? And I think one of the things that God wants to tell us in this passage is that um, many of us, if you're bored in the Christian faith, 
if you stop growing in the Christian faith, if you're stuck in the Christian faith, you have to ask yourself, um, is this simply a matter of me learning more, of reading another book, of simply praying more? Sometimes it is. Or is this a matter of, I'm not applying what I already know to be true. And I need to bring a sense of urgency to that. Is this a matter of, um, you know, here's the thing. Everyone has urgency when the stakes are right. Everyone has within them the immediate ability to uh, bring an urgency to any situation. It's called a deadline. It's called when the assignment is due at school or at work. It's called we procrastinate, we procrastinate, and all of a sudden there's this high performance area of our lives when the deadline comes. Or there's a sense of urgency that we have when there's an emergency situation. There's a sense of urgency that uh, we have when something that we value or even idolize is threatened or we have the opportunity to take hold of it. We, urgency immediately comes out of us. Um, you know, if you're single, right, and, and you're like, no, I, I don't, I'm not really looking for anyone. I, I'm just kind of content with my life right now and just to, to just focus on myself. And I've seen this over and over again. People say that, and then all of a sudden this, this person comes walking in the door that is kind of their archetype, and they just have this urgency to leave behind that old person that was so content in their singleness. And then to, to maybe pursue something different. And um, we have the capacity for urgency in everyday life. And even more so, we have the capacity in our spirituality. And so let's be an urgent people. I think Paul had urgency in his ministry because he saw lost people who needed the gospel he saw people in Jerusalem who were depending upon him and his ministry uh, during the famine that they had to collect money from the churches. He had urgency because he placed himself in an environment on the missions field that demanded urgency from his life. How many people, Christians, do you know that uh, they're sitting around and they're not really much is happening in terms of of their spiritual walk or their contributions to the kingdom of God or their participation in the church, and all of a sudden... They go on to some kind of missions trip, some short-term missions trip to Mexico or to Asia or to Africa or some other place in the world. And when they're on the missions field, they just come alive. They're on fire. They're, it's like this completely different. Per- well, it's because they're in an environment that brought urgency out of them. And I also think that what lended uh, to Paul's urgency is, uh, and this is just kind of a guess on my part, is that I, I think that... Somewhere in the back of his mind, he knew that he didn't have a lot of time to accomplish what God wanted done in his life. I mean, think about this. When Paul was converted in Acts chapter 9, when he met Jesus, uh, we, we estimate that he was about 30 years old, somewhere around there, when he became a Christian. And it was really for the next 14 years after his conversion, that he did some ministry in Syria and in, uh, went to Arabia. He went back to Syria. He went to Turkey. He spent a couple weeks in Jerusalem during that. There, that was 14 years. And he did some ministry largely on his own, but it wasn't until about 14 years later after his conversion that Barnabas came to him in Acts chapter 11 to say, come to Antioch 
to help minister and to teach and build up the church at Antioch. So from his time of his conversion, about 30 years old, to the time of Acts chapter 11, it was about 14 years. And so now Paul is maybe, uh, you know, around in his early 40s. And we know that when he went through his ministry and he eventually made it to Rome and was imprisoned by Rome, and uh, church tradition says that he was beheaded in Rome somewhere uh, around the mid to late 60s A.D., his whole ministry was probably only about 20 to 25 years, his public ministry, from the time of, of Acts chapter 11 onwards. It's about 20 to 25 years. And I think that Paul probably at some point knew that he didn't have a lot, long time. He wasn't like the Apostle John, who was going to live till he was like 90 years old or so and die on the island of Patmos. Uh, and so... I think that fueled his urgency. What would your Christian walk be like if you knew that you didn't have much time left? When you're in your 20s, that is such a foreign concept because nobody in their 20s, unless it's a, an extraordinary circumstance, thinks they don't, they don't have much time left. Everyone thinks they have all the time in the world when you're in your 20s, uh, even into your 30s. When you start getting into your 40s, or even to your 50s, uh, this really becomes real to you. Because you, you start to understand that you probably have less of your future than you do of your past. And it clarifies who is going to be really about the mission uh, that God has set out for us to move forward with him, to, uh, to take the gospel forward and to live the gospel because you realize you don't have that much time. And there becomes one of the beautiful things about getting older. Uh, while, you know, your body is going downwards in a lot of ways, and that's not a beautiful thing. But when Paul said, uh, the outer man is perishing, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. As I've gotten older, I've begun to realize that to a greater degree. Um, I can't run as fast. I can't, you know, I'm not the man I was when I was 30 years old. But spiritually, the inner man what God has done in my life through various means of, of just trial and error, making a lot of mistakes in my own journey, through suffering, um, through um, a lot of foolishness, but then gaining wisdom through that, and, and realizing that, like the Apostle James says, life is like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow, and you never know when it ends. That that has brought an urgency to my life about what I want it to be about, you know, for whatever time that God has given me. Maybe he gives me a lot of time, maybe he doesn't. Um, and I hope for you the same, that you would live with urgency. And so this morning, the spiritual dynamics of a theology of movement is to move forward before you're even ready towards God and people. It is to understand that God will stop and redirect your path, and that is normative, but he will eventually get you to the right place if you remain faithful to him. And thirdly, we are to move forward with a sense of urgency, um, how are you moving with God this morning? Are you moving with him, not just in his direction, but at his pace? Uh, are you stuck and not moving at all? Are you moving in circles? Are you moving in chaos? Are you moving in the opposite direction that God wants you to go? Uh, these are important questions that we need to ask, church, because uh, the days ahead, I, I believe that God will take our church and move us forward forward to advance the kingdom of God. 
and it's not going to be a straight line. It's going to be filled with stops and redirections. Um, but we're a church that is moving with God, and God is going to bless that. And God is going to bring us to people that he wants us to reach, and through that experience, you are going to grow in your own faith, and God is going to strengthen our church. If you are here this morning, and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never confessed him as Lord and Savior, Paul says if anyone would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that he has been raised from the dead, you will be saved. Have you done that this morning? If you have never professed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and, um, and, and to receive the peace and forgiveness and love of God and new life, you have not moved from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. You have yet to move and to be transferred through Christ's life, death, and resurrection on the cross and to be moved towards God. You have yet to do that. You have yet to move from a state of perishing to the state of being saved. You have yet to move from hell to heaven. And you can do that this very moment, at this very moment. And to experience the life that God has for you, to, for him to come into your life and to move you according to his will and to give you his life, to move you to his kingdom, both now and in eternity. Have you done that? The Christian faith is about moving with God. And we need to have a good theology of movement because God does not want an unbeliever to perish without moving in his direction. And God doesn't want his church to be stuck in the past, stuck in the present. He wants us to move forward and to trust him that he will redirect our path in the direction that he desires. And so um, let's do that, church. Let's commit to moving forward with God, both individually and in our own lives and as a church. And God is going to do extraordinary things, just like he did with Paul and his companions on their missionary journey. I believe he will do that through our church in the days ahead. God bless you guys.